Today on the Doc on the Run podcast, Dr. No is going to explain hormone replacement is a way to make sure you're training at full capacity and at lowest risk of injury. Hi, I'm Dr. Christopher Segler, and thanks for tuning in to the Doc on the Run podcast, where we help you understand how to keep training and running even if you've been injured. Today on the Doc on the Run podcast, I'm really excited to have Dr. Vin No from Smart Med in San Francisco. Dr. No is going to explain hormone replacement is a way to make sure you're training at full capacity and at lowest risk of injury. So Dr. No is a UCSF trained physician and he's an expert in men's health and hormone optimization. So today I'm really excited that he's here to share his integrative approach, which can help athletes train harder by looking at hormonal limiters to identify changes that can be managed to improve the overall health and resilience of an athlete's body. So Dr. No, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me on the show. Um, we've been in contact uh, for several years, almost 10 years now. Um, um, just, you know, relative uh, referral basis. And uh, I've been I've been treating uh, low testosterone and uh, suboptimum testosterone for almost 15 years now. Yeah, so I know this is an area that you really specialize in. So maybe before you get started, you know, with some questions, maybe you could just give us a little bit of background kind of about you, your education, and, and why you really focus on more of a holistic approach for athletes. Again, my name is Dr. Vin No. I graduated from New York Medical College, um, and I did my residency at UCSF in family medicine. But along the way, I um, integrated hormonal therapy into my practice through taking conferences, taking alternative medicine conferences, looking at um, different complementary ways to improve and optimize health and looking at hormones particularly. So um, I've been in San Francisco now since, uh, since the end of my residency in 2004, and I've been practicing here since, and uh, again, expanding my approach and um, adding other things like weight loss, like um, uh, obesity dependence also in my practice as well, as well as other integrative aspects, um, weight loss particularly one, and um, hormonal therapy or uh, it's better known as bioidentical bio hormone replacement, mm -hmm. uh, also known as functional medicine. There's other kind of uh, key phrase terms you can look up um, to look at the type of medicine that I practice. Yeah, that's interesting. So. You know, these things, the bioidentical hormones and, and uh, all these different, you know, functional medicine, sort of that approach, you know, really is important for athletes because obviously the whole goal of athletes is to function better. And for many of us, of course, that changes as we age. And, you know, we all know our hormone profile changes as we age, the function of hormones changes as we age. And we know that also that our ability to train hard, recover fast, and heal from injuries also seems to slow down as we get older. But, of course, these days there are lots of athletes, particularly cyclists, Ironman triathletes, and even some marathon runners who are not only still training, but they're actually reaching their athletic peaks in their 40s and even their 50s. So, you know, for those of us who are interested in this idea and, you know, how do male hormones start to change in our 40s and 50s? And more specifically, how do those changes interfere with training capacity and risk for injury? Well, that's a great question, and um, in particular, in your audience, forties um, and fifties—that's kind of the peak for endurance athletes, uh, or at least in, by um, due to some studies of uh, that endurance athletes—they peak later in age than, let's say, um, more traditional athletes. Um, 
So that's really important to your um, to your demographic. Um, and so as I, I want to talk about, let's talk about first um, andropause, just the word andropause and what it means. So um, it basically it sounds like menopause for men. So that's exactly what it is, right? But for women, menopause comes pretty abruptly at around age 50, 52. For men, as we look at how testosterone levels um develop in men it's the highest when you're in your late teens let's say between mid-teens to late teens at around 800 to 1200 nanograms per deciliter basically is the, the total testosterone and it um it it maintains fairly consistent for the next 10 to 20 years so let's say age 15 to age 35 it's fairly consistent at between 800 and 1200 um level then, um, at around age 35 or in your late 30s, every year your testosterone decreases by an amount of 1.2%. Now, that doesn't sound that great. That doesn't sound that great, but if you think about it, every 10 years, you're losing 12% of your testosterone. Then you start to really start to you know, do the math, and by the time you're 40, 50, your, your testosterone levels are declining rapidly. You know? <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and you'll, you'll, you might not notice that in the first 10 years or in the second 10 years, but you'll certainly notice that later on down the road when it compounds. Um, so that's kind of how things develop. And that's a pretty uh, nice um, kind of t- timeline on how things develop in your in, in, with testosterone particularly in andropos. Okay. And so we know that, you know, that, these hormones, particularly testosterone, are important not only for energy levels, but also for capacity for healing, right? And, um, you know, training, as we think about it as runners or triathletes, cyclists, whatever, training, you know, really is just a period of not only building aerobic fitness, but it's also a period of sustaining minor repetitive injuries. And overtraining injuries, the things that happen when people call me because they have you know, an Achilles tendonitis or, you know, issue or um, perineal tendonitis or plantar fasciitis or some sort of overuse injury, a stress fracture, whatever, those all happen because they have stacked all of these little repetitive injuries more than they've been able to recover from them. And so how does, how does low testosterone play into that? Okay, well, yes. So just, look, just looking at the general properties of testosterone, um, and what it does, it, it basically makes men male, right? It, um, when you're in your in utero at about two weeks of life, um, testosterone, you either start making testosterone or start making estrogen. When you start, basically, for the first two weeks of life, we're kind of uh, unisex. We don't have a sex yet, and we're basically female. And then when, the, in, at the second week of life, testosterone, if you have the male uh Y chromosome in your in the sperm, the Y chromosome starts making testosterone, and that's when you start to develop male characteristics. Um, and so, starting from that point on, you basically are defined by testosterone, your 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 gender. Basically. Mm-hmm. And so, let's move forward now to how you're aging and this repetitive injury. So, let's say you're in your thirties, you're in your forties, you're in fifties, and your body doesn't bounce back like it did when you're in your 20s. The reason why for that is mainly hormonal. So when you when we talked about in your late teens um, having uh, let's say a thousand uh, 
nanograms of testosterone per deciliter, you're you're able to have this huge reserve for repair, for growth, for any type of injury you have. And you you might remember when you were younger, you wouldn't have the soreness. You wouldn't have you, the, if you did sprain your ankle or or have a repetitive injury, you would um, bounce back way sooner. And you may you may not even have to bounce back. Um, so as you age, that regenerative property, and it's mainly due to testosterone, helps you bounce back from injury much much quicker, the regenerative nature of it. And I see it mostly in my practice when men come to me and they have low testosterone or they have subalpha testosterone, I, and, I put, and I get their levels back to a more normal or high normal level, You'll see, they'll see that their recovery, they basically feel like they're 18, 20, 30 years old again. Where they have that recovery, they're bounced back, and they can they can work out many days in a row, or, or they can work out multiple days in a row. Whereas when they get older, like I'm in my 40s now, I don't quite bounce back like I used to. And my recovery, particularly, is the big part of that bounce back. Is the recovery isn't the same. And so, for your clients and for your demographic, as far as the triathlete and the aging triathlete, um, distance endurance runner or an endurance athlete, I can see that that being a big major issue as far as recovery from from uh, workouts and from injury. Right. Now, that totally makes sense to me. And, you know, and it's it's becoming a lot sort of more mainstream, this whole discussion of low T. And my guess is that virtually every listener on the show has at least seen some television commercial about low T. And uh, that usually in the advertisements, it's a pharmaceutical company with some um, product and they'll have an image of some healthy athletic guy, but he usually looks tired and exhausted. And the narrator just says something to the effect of, you know, ask your doctor about low T. And, you know, I think you've explained that pretty well about what really is low t- testosterone and how does it creep into us, you know, athletes in our forties, fifties or, or so. But for athletes listening to this, like what would they experience in terms of symptoms of low testosterone? Well, um, so low T, yeah, low T stands for low testosterone. And if you're not looking for low T, then you will never find low T because a lot of the symptoms are pretty, like the constitutional symptoms particularly, are pretty ubiquitous in our you know, culture of uh, medicine. So a lot of things you find are um, is more the constitutional symptoms like fatigue, weakness, muscle pain, constipation, Sometimes weight loss or inability to maintain muscle mass. So that's a common. Those are common ones. Other ones are like kind of the psych, psychological ones: nervousness, irritability, depression, being antisocial, um, inability to concentrate. So those don't. You don't automatically think of testosterone when you think of inability to concentrate. Usually, but um, it's it's it, you find that a lot of uh, people who even are on Adderall or under concentration drugs right now that are you know ubiquitous in, their, in our society, they have low testosterone because as they age, their inability to to concentrate impairs their ability to uh, to think and be be cognitive. So um, those are some of the kind of common ones. Obviously, we know the sexual ones: uh, low lib- low libido and decrease in either the quality or the uh, frequency of their erections. Um, other more vasomotor uh, symptoms are your increased pulse rate, meaning your heart isn't as strong as it used to be and you need to pump faster in order to do the same amount of work. Hot flashes, palpitations, headache, and 
of chilliness or low temperature. Okay. So those are kind of the common uh, side effects or effects, symptoms of low T. Okay. And so, I mean, who is at risk for getting this? I mean, is it basically just everybody as they age? Yes. I mean, in our modern society, everyone's at risk. Um, every male is at risk, even in their 20s. Um, I, I've treated men in their 20s, and it could be genetic. It could be um, from environmental purposes. But since our society has kind of a 24-hour cycle now with news, with our smartphones always beeping and emailing us um, and triggering a stress response, we don't sleep as good as we used to. Right. And we have interrupted sleep. And what, when does testosterone being produced? During our REM cycle in deep delta and REM sleep. So if we're getting interrupted all the time in our sleep, testosterone isn't being produced, uh, isn't being secreted from our pituitary, hypothalamic gland, and, t- and testes. So um, those are the three glands that kind of govern our testosterone production. So number one, sleep. Number two, stress. Um, again, we're always on our phones, we're always busy in our lives, um, all these different notifications. Stress ha- is a big part of why historically men have lower testosterone now than even 50 years ago. Um, and then as well as our environment. And we look at not only our diet and our foods being less nutritious than they used to be, um, we're also looking at disruptors, endocrine disruptors like plastics, um, which have weak, est- weak estrogen, um, 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 so plastics or PBA, I think you know this here, has basically weak estrogen properties, so it actually lowers our testosterone. Also, not only plastic, but um, our phones. We have these phones, we put in our pockets, that's radiation right next to our testes. That's close to a microwave level of radiation inches from our testicles, which are creating testosterone. So we have all these bombardments of toxins, of radiation, of um, genetics, too, causing low testosterone in our bodies. Interesting. So, you know, maybe you could um, uh, just talk a little bit more about that, like in terms of the, for example, the uh, BPA, you know, in, in bottles, which I think... For the most part, that's kind of been filtered out. Most people are aware of that now. But certainly for me, you know, 10 years ago, I'll bet almost all of the bottles that I used when I was uh, doing Ironman training, when I first started doing Ironman training, I'll bet all of them had BPA in them. And, you know, and I would fill them up with water and then go ride my bike in 100 degree weather in the sun all day long, which cannot be good for you. And uh, so I know there's still BPA around, but... Uh, can you just talk a little bit about that, about how the BPA uh, affects us in terms of our hormones? This is the Doc on the Run podcast. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. What's a virtual doctor visit? The idea of not running at all while waiting for my foot to heal was simply depressing. I really needed a second opinion from an expert, someone who specializes in helping runners. What you'll get from Dr. Segler, in my experience, is expert runner and medical care that's individualized for your needs. I'm left with actionable steps to recover from my injury. Dr. Segler is different, and I felt heard, didn't feel patronized, and I felt like he prioritized getting me back to running as soon as possible as much as I did. I just couldn't see sitting around for six weeks knowing my hard-earned fitness would vanish. I know Dr. Segler is an expert, and I wanted to see him in person. 
but frankly, I just couldn't afford the cost of a house call. I saved enough money to pay for my next marathon registration. You'll have an appointment with Dr. Segler, whether it's via Skype or on the phone. You can expect, one, he's gonna be on time. Two, he's gonna be able to spend more time with you than the typical uh, visit in a doctor's office. And both of those are gonna result in a more effective diagnosis and treatment plan for you. I'm a young woman in the Philippines and I hurt my ankle yesterday. I just wanted to say thank you and that it's such a relief to be able to find a website like yours and get some information when I'm in a place with uh, little to no medical care. So I just wanted to call and say thank you. You're awesome. Book a virtual doctor visit and get a second opinion online today. Welcome back to the Doc on the Run podcast. Can you just talk a little bit about that, about how the BPA affects us in terms of our hormones? Yeah, I mean, BPAs and everything, not just blah blahs, like all the plastic wrappings on top of the kind of single serving foods that we eat, all the little liners of different cans, bottles, wrappers, little packets of um, even um, ketchup and those like things. Yeah, it's it's in the it's in the coating even like of virtually all canned goods, right? Oh yeah, it's coating. It's in um, receipts, for example, is a big endocrine um, disruptor. Receipts. Don't take receipts if you don't need them. They oh, interesting. Are not layered with BPA and different types of plastics that disrupt our endocrine system. So it's just so it's if you became a complete um, compulsive person and tried to rid yourself of plastic, it'd be impossible to live. Uh, you know, in the in modern times, because it's in everything. It's even on things before we use them. So we, we people have taken them off, but they've been on the, the food or the produce or the um, things before we even use a lot of the products we have. Interesting. And so, so how does the BPA affect you? So if you you know ingest it, if you're exposed to it, if it gets into your system, what exactly does BPA do to you? The so BPA again is like it. It's it's a it's like an estrogen. So it has, excuse me, sorry about that. Um, sorry about that. No, it's okay. It has, so it basically is like, um, you know that plastics come from petroleum, right? And petroleum is an oil. Right. Well, testosterone chemically, and so is estrogen, they're both oils. They're, they're, they're made from oil. And so when we use these oils, um, what we're doing is we're, we're, um, sorry, let me cut that. No, no problem. So, again, um, we're talking about chemical that's closely related to oil, right? Mm-hmm. Like you think of chemistry. So, testosterone and estrogen are both oils. They're both part of a cholesterol family. And so, BPA, most of the plastics are made from oil as well. Right, because it's bisphenol A, right? Yeah, bis- bisphenol A. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but there's a lot of other ones that haven't been um, done enough studies on. To B- BPA has been found to be a disruptor, but there are probably 10 other plastics that they haven't done enough studies on that they already know probably are disruptors as well, but we just haven't done the, the you know, they don't have the following of BPA yet. Right. So there's already things out there that we haven't even found out yet that are disruptors. So I just want to give you a general sense of it. BPA is one of them, but there are other disruptors out there, and they're oil-based, and plastics are made out of oil. Mm-hmm. So they get in the way because they act like hormones, particularly estrogen, which in a way 
helps to what happens if you want to think of biochemically is that estrogen causes this hormone that this this protein called sex hormone bonding globulin okay mm-hmm. so shg it is increased when estrogen is around so what happens is shbg helps carry testosterone around in our bloodstream so when we have too much shbg around a lot of our testosterone is bound to this protein and not free to, to be inside ourselves and doing the work it needs so our percent free testosterone can be anywhere from two to ten percent in the normal individual but when we have a lot more shbg caused by these plastics and by estrogen you have too much of this binding protein around and then testosterone gets kind of uh sequestered and clumped up and so they're not made they're not free to be bound to uh they're not free because they're bound to this protein okay so that's why we talk about free testosterone when we talk about your functional testosterone level because your total testosterone number can be misleading because you could have a high total testosterone number but your sex hormone binding globulin or free testosterone number might be elevated so that sequestering all your testosterone okay so that makes sense so then if you you know if one of the first steps in really doing something to increase your functional level of testosterone is really making sure that you have more free testosterone and one of the ways to do that is to avoid bpa i know you know you don't necessarily have to become ocd about it but in terms of in taking steps just to reduce some of the biggest offenders, you mentioned one, which was not taking receipts and not, you know, handling receipts, uh, and obviously not drinking out of bottles that are made with BPA. Using BPA-free plastics is probably a good idea. What are some other of the big things that people can avoid? Well, you know, it, it's really difficult, but um, you know, making your own food, right? Right. Like at home. Knowing where your food comes from. Did it come from a plastic container? Did it come from a, you know, a foam styrofoam container? Did it come from something that has been sitting in for a long time? Mm-hmm. Right? So talking about the single serving foods that we eat, like that we buy at deli or at Whole Foods or any of your supermarkets, it always came in a thing and it had been shipped in a truck for three days to get there. You know, it, it, it's been bedded with this plastic, right? Right. Or, when we take uh, we take our own uh, you know we take it upon ourselves to go to the farmers market to buy the food directly from the farmer to go home and cook the food and not you know expose it to plastics and sitting in a, a jar or a can or even sitting in a tup your own Tupperware right uh, some Tupperware especially the lower quality Tupperware has BPA well and a lot of people will heat their food in those plastic Tupperware containers which is even worse right. It's it's horrible, yeah. So it's just going to leach the plastic out into the food. Um, that even you know, I try to use glass as much as possible. Um, I try to obviously try to eat directly from the pan, you know, mm-hmm. eat it, you know. But you know, I understand the modern lifestyle, and, and I get it myself that sometimes it's not always possible. Right. But when you can't control uh, things like that, you can control them. So. Um, I think other ways to also reduce is to, you know, see your doctor about checking your levels, basically. Right. Because you do not need to lower the BPA levels, or maybe it's not disrupting enough, or you're getting some disruption, but your testosterone levels are compensating for it. And that's okay. Yeah. Keeping an eye on it and having someone objectively look at your levels, get get in the process of doing that, because that is how you're going to 
catch it before it becomes a problem. Yeah, that, that makes sense. So, you know, like you said, I mean, there are, there's BPA, there's other potential hormone disruptors, disruptors that we sort of are suspicious of, but haven't necessarily been studied and identified yet. And all of them can have the potential by, you know, messing with your low T and creating low T or low testosterone by binding it, they can all diminish your athletic performance. They can all slow your recovery after workouts. And because of those things, your decreased resilience, they can increase your risk of developing overtraining injury. So, so like you said, the big thing it sounds like is to, to figure out, you know, get checked, you know, get an evaluation, see whether or not you actually have low free testosterone levels or not. Right. And, and if, so if you are an athlete who might be worried about exposure to these hormone disruptors, that, that really is, sounds like the first step, is it not, just to get, just get an evaluation? Yeah, get, get evaluated. It's kind of like thinking back in the day of HIV and other things. Just get checked. You know? Right. Um, also, there's other things in the environment as well. Um, for example, alcohol. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about that. I know some of you like to drink after having a run or something, this and there. It's very popular. Everyone, you know, it's everywhere, obviously. So alcohol also impedes testosterone production. Mm-hmm. Um, how to do that? Well, um, alcohol it affects a, a, a certain number of things. Number one, zinc is very important in testosterone production. And zinc helps you basically, it's a cofactor in the production of testosterone in your testes. Um, it also helps you uh, signal from the pituitary and, and the hypothalamus. So zinc is important mineral. So alcohol decreases your zinc absorption, okay? Um, alcohol also inhibits P450, a liver enzyme, that also um, is involved in the testosterone metabolism. So if you can think of tes- as alcohol as a, famously Shakespeare said, alcohol increases desire but lowers performance. Right. And that's what you can think of when you think of alcohol, particularly. Uh-huh. Okay? Um, one other thing, um, smoking obviously um, lowers your vascular flow to your testes and your uh, you know genitals. Um, so that also, and then we talked about radiation. There's other drugs as well. Um, if people take opiates, and it's a huge opiate epidemic right now, but if you take any type of opiates, that also lowers testosterone. So any drug can lower, particularly antihypertensive drugs like beta blockers or um, different other drugs like, um, for example, um, um, antidepressants also are big endocrine disruptors. So um, it, the list is very long, but, but those are the main big groups that can lower testosterone. You know, one question I have is, I don't know if there's any truth to this or not, but you'd be the expert on this. So I actually, one time many years ago when I was doing lots of Ironman races, I was doing multiple races a year, uh, an anesthesiologist in the operating room actually told me that that from as a consequence of training that many hours, training that hard, that my sperm count and my testosterone levels would be lower just because of the volume of endurance training. Is there any truth to that? Well, I've seen it in different ways. Now, testosterone gets actually produced when you exercise, but... The main thing was that the testosterone gets produced when you exercise the largest muscle groups. Mm-hmm. And heavy lifting and heavy uh, max pre- bench presses and deadlifts. That that kind of chest, glute, thigh area is the areas that make testosterone. And it makes sense, right? Yeah. Um, when you max, you get pumped, right? And so that 
is the area of exercise that improves testosterone. When you're talking distance running and uh, endurance uh, athletes, you're talking about areas that would probably lower testosterone because you're probably siphoning a lot of that heavy muscle groups into more lean, lean muscle groups. Right. So yeah. I would say in general it would lower, but you know any type of exercise for your glutes and for the big muscle groups will increase it, like heavy lifting. Now the other thing with that is uh, also being on a bike. All right, you're on a bike, you're heating up your testes, mm-hmm. and having your testes hang and being the proper temperature does affect the, the the synthesis of testosterone and 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 from your Leydig cells inside your testicles. So. that's a huge point for your endurance athletes to know. Yeah. And not only does cycling position on the bike matter and affect you in that way, but also one thing that's really a chronic problem for many triathletes and runners now is, is this idea that because they're doing so much long straight line endurance training, that it's really like an epidemic now of people that have glutes that aren't firing at all. You know, and so they're not really using their glutes, even though it would help them to do so. They basically train themselves into a pattern where they're not firing their glutes, which also, I guess, can decrease this, the, the testosterone production. For sure. I mean, I, I've seen it as well, but, um, you know, I, I treat more injuries. So when I see people not firing their glute, I send them to a plate, you know, to get some type of PRP or stem cell procedure that helps them do the right type of physical therapy and to regenerate those tissues properly in the connective tissue arena of uh, treatment. So right. um, certainly doctor, and that's something also that I do in my practice as well is to um, do PRP or platelet-rich plasma therapy that helps like a stem cells for your um, connective tissue. Right. Fire those, those muscles and tendons and um, ligaments properly. Yeah. So, you know, but the thing is, it's it's interesting because endurance athletes will often do this where they get tested for lots of different things. You know, we do functional threshold testing. We want to know how much power we can put out on the bike. We want to know how much we can run. I mean, I, when I was, you know, really trying to uh, qualify for Ironman Hawaii, I went and got lactate threshold testing where I would go and, you know, pedal at certain watts. They would draw some blood, check my lactate levels, and then I would keep increasing my wattage. They would check it again and again and again so that I could actually chart out, measure, and know for sure what was optimal for me on race day. And it's interesting that so many people will do that, that they will go and, you know, sign up for a session, pay hundreds of dollars to get lactate threshold testing just so they can know this one measure, and then and then completely neglect something when they're in that sort of um, age range where they're really at risk for low testosterone, um, not really just at risk for it, but it's almost predictable that they would have it and not even get it checked, you know? So it seems like something to really consider and something that may be worthwhile for athletes who are in their thirties, forties, and fifties. But in terms of doing it, like how does someone go about getting tested to determine whether or not they really do suffer from low testosterone or low free testosterone? So, yeah, it's one thing to go to your doctor and you see an ad for low T and you go to your primary care doctor at One Medical or Kaiser or wherever, and they're not versed on kind of the latest in this area. So they'll, what they'll, what happens a lot is men will get frustrated because they go to your doctor, the doctor's not versed on low T and what the, you know, leading, leading practitioners are using. So they get a testosterone level and their testosterone level is within range. 
And the range for testosterone, according to most uh, lab um, ranges, is between 250 and 1100. So that's a huge gap. Right. Huge range. And so a lot of men will be in the lower part of that range, let's say 300, 400, 500, and they don't get a, a sex hormone binding globin, so they don't know their free testosterone either. Either So they, they'll get a number and they're like, and your, your doctor kind of will look at it and say, oh, well, you're in range, so you don't need uh, treatment. So that's what a lot of men get. And that's why there's a lot, that's why there's a lot of misconception over um, getting treatment for low T. So you almost have to go to a low T center or a doctor trained in low testosterone in order to get the right testing to know where you are in that spectrum. Yeah, you mentioned this earlier that you said that uh, that when you were talking about in the beginning, you said that you don't, you know, when you're treating someone, you really aim for them kind of being at, at, at least the high of the normal range. You don't want them just normal in that wide span of numbers. You want them at the high end of that range. And and in addition to the total testosterone, you're, of course, evaluating the free testosterone. So if somebody came to see you uh, who is an athlete, they just wanted to get checked out, or they've had any of these other symptoms like feeling more exhausted than they used to feel, you know, difficulty concentrating. You know, a lot of times we attribute that just to hard workouts. Um, certainly, you know, when I go do a six-hour bike ride, I really don't think that well for the rest of the day. And um, But a lot of these, you know, sort of symptoms could be attributable to low testosterone. So if an athlete has these issues, if somebody's training for ultra marathons and they start having some of these issues and they just want to get it checked out and they came to you, what exactly would you do to check them? So first, I take a you know a thorough history and physical. I ask them about you know environmental toxins. I ask them about their diet. I ask them about their sleep. I ask them about what drugs they're taking and how their lifestyle is. Then I go you know check them out. I look at their skin. I look at their hair quality. I look at um, I listen to the heart and lungs. I listen and you know I do a general exam too. I listen you know have they had trauma down downstairs? You know have they had what do their testes look like? Are they well formed? Are they hanging properly? Are they, you know, back up in, in, in their abdomen? Some people have, you know, non-distended testes or something like that. So you want to look at just the general stuff that makes it easy to diagnose it, right? Mm-hmm. Then you can go dig, dig deeper. Now, a lot of times, um, there's not one source for the low testosterone. So there's not one defining cause. Sometimes it's just a milieu of things, and you don't know the actual cause, and that's frustrating for some people. But as on the functional level, we're just here to restore their levels, you know. So on, the, on one side, I'd love to know the, the final cause, but a lot of times I can't get to it. Um, if I can, great. If I can't, then we, we just try to get you to a functional level. That's why we're talking about the optimum level, meaning high normal or um, within the normal range, just at the you know, one to two standard deviations above that, mm-hmm. all right? So that's what we're looking for. Um, so base, base, So when someone comes in, I then do a, draw, a blood draw. So I have them draw at baseline, which is without any med uh, before treatment, and then I put them on another hormone that helps stimulate their testosterone production to see how they respond. The hormone is called clomiphene. So I give them what's called a clomiphene challenge where I give them a pill that they take once a day for a week, and then they come back and then give me another blood draw on this stimulating hormone. And what happens is you get the baseline, let's say it's 500, and it should jump up 100 to 200 points on this new stimulator. 
So it tells me that your tes- that your testicles are um, secreting properly. And that's within that that number you're talking about is within that like 250 to 1100 range. Exactly. Okay. So let's say you're at 500, and and on your baseline, I give you this clomiphene challenge. You take it for a week, and then you get your blood test again, and we see it, it should jump to 700. If it doesn't jump at all, then you kind of have to get. We it gives us a measure to then treat you appropriately based on how your testes respond to the stimulation. So we do it really scientifically. We don't just shotgun it and then hopefully you know you don't get um, lab numbers afterwards and stuff like that. So we really follow it closely. It's professionally done so that you get the best um, effect from your treatment and you get no of the side effects that can happen. Okay. That's really um, that's really helpful to understand kind of the process. And then, you know, if you've gone through this, you've had the this challenge test of the week of, you know, taking something to see how you respond and check the levels again. And then you actually get started on treatment for low T because you do have some low testosterone. How long does it take before most runners, triathletes, cyclists, whatever, how long would it take for them to actually notice a change in the way that they feel in terms of energy level capacity for training, you know, uh, uh, ability to focus and concentrate? Like, how long do you expect people to take before they actually report back to you that they've noticed a change? Well, fortunately, testosterone is a very strong hormone. So, as most of you know, if you change your levels, even a couple hundred points, you're going to notice within the same week. So, uh, most of my people come back to me and they're like, I've never felt this good or I haven't felt this good since I was 20. Or they you know, keep thanking me, and like um, it's a drastic change if they have low levels. Right. If they have mid normal or you know low normal levels, then it may not be as drastic to go to the optimal level. But most pe- people find a big delta, meaning a big change, even if they're at even middling levels. Okay. Uh, and I, again, I don't try to shoot over. Sometimes with treatment, it goes over, and I and then I drop them down a little bit to the normal range. So. I'm not trying to kind of outthink the body. I like like most bodybuilders, they use um, triple the amount, the triple the, the the levels of testosterone that are normal. Right. So we're not trying to get to a super optimal level. We're just getting to the high normal level and make them feel good, and and not just feel good, but testosterone not just makes you you know helps you with your libido and your sex drive and your erections and your fatigue. It has great, greatly other properties as well. It helps your heart conduction, and as far as your heart, testosterone, you know, helps with muscle, uh, with muscle gains and muscle uh, metabolism. And your heart is the most, you know, it's the most important muscle in your body. Right. So, people with low testosterone die from heart attacks and heart disease at higher rates than men with normal or high normal levels. So we're not just talking about what you know, a cosmetic thing. You're gonna look better. You're gonna feel better. You're also gonna not die from a heart attack or a stroke compared to someone who has low testosterone. Well, that's an interesting point because you know one of my uh, really good friends, one of my cycling friends. I remember one day uh, he he really trains a lot. He rides a whole lot, and he's uh, you know at the time he was in his late fifties. And I remember one day his um, his wife actually said to me, she said, well you know. I would really rather him spend that much time on his bike than end up dying of a heart attack. And it's interesting because so many of us will go train, you know, ride a bike for hundreds of miles a week, 
but then not do something as simple as get checked for low T that could actually contribute to cardiac death at an early age. Of course, yeah. I mean, if you ride so much that you lower testosterone, you're not firing your big, large muscle groups and aging, of course, and other factors. And yeah, you could be doing detriment to yourself, especially looking at the inflammatory piece um, in the heart disease. So now heart disease is not just looking at cholesterol, which is kind of plaque we're talking about. Right. We're looking at another huge, um, you know, huge part of cardiovascular disease, and that's inflammation. And what are you putting your body through going on a 100-mile bike ride? You're putting inflammation in your body. Oh, yeah. To be honest about it. And the, some of that inflammation can lead to heart disease. So um, now I'm not saying there's a direct correlation, but there is definitely an indirect correlation with inflammation and heart disease. Well, there are, I mean, it's interesting because there, you would think that anyone who does Ironman triathlons or ultra marathons or any sort of long distance endurance events like that, they're so well trained and their aerobic fitness is so good and all that sort of stuff, you think that they would outlive everybody else. But some of the studies actually show that endurance athletes, especially, you know, those who do Ironman triathletes like me, you know, I like doing long races just because I'm not fast, but I can go for a long time. And you know, ultra marathoners, that they actually don't live longer than the average population. So maybe that may be because the all of the benefits of so much cardiovascular exercise is actually contributing to the reduction of longevity because of some of these hormone disruptions. It is possible, although, you know, I haven't seen that documented. It is possible, theoretically, right? I've seen some studies saying that the endurance athletes, especially marathon, that type of high endurance, can lead to um, uh, you know, lowering your lifespan. Now, I don't know how, I think it was a small group and it wasn't like a large enough study, so mm-hmm. I, I don't too much encounter, but just theoretically, the inflammation that you're putting your body through, through these lar- long races, can affect your your, your, your health. Yeah. Um, and, and, and we talk about inflammation now in the more uh, general sense, um, Globally in your body, even having cavities can lead to heart disease. Right. That inflammation in your mouth leads to inflammation in your vessels and other areas of your body. So we now look at inflammation as a specialty in medicine where decreasing inflammation is a huge portion of what we do. Now, inflammation can also lead to cancer. Right. Um, We haven't talked about that yet, but inflammation, there's all these mediators like tumor necrosis factor alpha and all these other things, IL-6. They all can lead to... Um, different deleterious effects and we want to kind of control that and manage it as much as possible obviously we live long enough we're going to encounter inflammation but we want to manage that as much as we possibly can and you know keep it to the things we really love doing like if you're into endurance racing and that's all that floats your boat then let's try to manage that amount of inflammation that we have no, that's all very helpful. I mean, most of the people listening to this, you know, and the whole goal of the Doc on the Run podcast is to help runners continue to run and help athletes continue to train as long as possible without getting injured and to figure out how to avoid those overtraining injuries. And then when they do get an overtraining injury, get back to recovery and get back to running as quickly as possible. And so clearly, uh, you know, based on everything that you have shared with us, it really does seem like for male athletes who are in their 30s, 40s, 50s, you know, even 60s who are continuing to train and um, are getting injured, that this may be another thing to consider just because 
as I talk about all the time, it's not one thing that fixes an athlete. It's not one new pair of shoes. It's not avoiding one workout or adding one stretch. It's all additive. It's all the little things that you do that all compound themselves and actually continue to improve the way that you recover from injuries so that you don't wind up with stacked levels of inflammation that lead to an overtraining injury. So, you know, it really does seem like this is one of those things that people could really consider, that it's something that should, athletes should consider having tested and good, should get checked out. So for athletes uh, here in the San Francisco Bay Area, where can they find you? You know, how can they find you? How can they see you in person? Well, one, one more piece about the uh, kind of the injury level. Now, you said, um, yeah, we're, we're talking about injuries. Now, how does testosterone actually help recovery? Well, testosterone helps any new tissue um, regeneration, any new tissue that gets made in your body gets made a little faster on testosterone. So your skin, your hair, your nails, they all grow a little faster when you're on testosterone with the right amounts. Um, and so any tissue that gets that needs recovery, like your joints and your muscles that get broken down and built back up constantly day after day when you, when you train, those also get regenerated quicker when you have the right levels of testosterone. So I just want to make that point first. Um, and thank you for the shout out. Yeah, so my, my, my office, as far as finding me, is called Smart Medicine SF. You can look uh, on my website at www.smartmedsf.com, S-A-S-M-A-R-T-M-E-D-S-F.com. Um, you can also call my office at 415-598-7633. Uh, and my office is located in the South of Market area near the Moscone Center on 468 Tahama Street and Suite 8. So um, look online, find me on Facebook. Um, it's also Smart Med SF. Um, I'm also on Twitter as well. Um, just find me and uh, I would I'd be happy to uh, help you through this process. That's great. So I'll make sure that we have all that information in the show notes on the website. So uh, to find Dr. No, you can just go straight to the show notes. We'll have links to his website as well as links to his uh, Twitter feed and Facebook page uh, so that you can get some more information and uh, see him, get your testosterone levels checked out, figure out whether or not you need any uh, help in that area, and make sure that you can continue training and racing at your best capacity. Um, all right, anything else for us, uh, Dr. No? No, that sounds like uh, we covered a lot of information there. And again, I'm happy to uh, answer questions even without a visit. Um, do a quick consultation on the phone just to get you uh, you know, up to speed on what, what's going on in this field. All right. Well, thank you very much for coming on the show. This has really been great. It's been a ton of useful information and I really appreciate you taking your time out of your schedule to talk with us about low testosterone and hormone disruptors today. Well, thanks, Chris. My pleasure. Good luck to everyone. If you have a question that you would like answered as a future edition of the Doc on the Run podcast, send it to me and then make sure you join me in the next edition of the Doc on the Run podcast. Thanks again for listening.